wanna be in the know about how we put together our little show. If you'd like to hear the puppeteers play the characters that you cheer, so join us as we go, 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 below the frame. On this episode of Below the Frame, I am speaking with Emmy Award-winning Sesame Street Muppet performer Ryan Dillon. We talk about growing up in Philadelphia, making his own puppets and creating his own characters, and of course, Elmo. We're also going to hear a story and another song from Jerry Nelson, so don't be an idiot. It's time to go Below the Frame. Go, go, go Below the Frame. Welcome to Below the Frame, your podcast for listening to conversations with Muppet performers. I am your host, Matt Vogel, and uh, I wanted to bring up something just real quick here, Uh, clear the air about something uh, that um, kind of has come, been brought to my attention. Uh, You know, I I got a couple of posts sent my way on social media asking, why are you saying the Disney Muppets? Why not just the Muppets? And I get that question, totally valid question. And uh, what I usually do is I say Sesame Street and Disney Muppets. And I do that to delineate the difference between the two groups. They're, they're both Muppets, the Sesame Street Muppets and the Disney Muppets. And on the original Facebook Live version of Below the Frame, that was only really about the Sesame Street Muppets. We, we did it live from the green room at Sesame Street. So that's kind of what it was. And, uh, oh, and speaking of those Facebook Live shows of Below the Frame. They are still up on my Facebook page, but I've also posted them to my YouTube page. So just search for me or Below the Frame on YouTube and you can subscribe there and watch all those old episodes that are all about the Sesame Street Muppets and Sesame Street people, cast and crew. But um, back to the Disney Muppets for a second. In truth, Disney does own the Muppets, you know, Kermit and company. So in the end, I thought that it would be a good way to let people know that we're not just delving into Sesame stuff on this podcast, but the whole Muppet spectrum of characters. So, all right, now, that's out of the way. So today on Below the Frame, I get to talk with my friend, Ryan Dillon. He is Elmo on Sesame Street, of course, and he, uh, he won an Emmy for Outstanding Principal Performance in a Daytime Program as Elmo this year. I am so, so proud of him. He works so hard on Sesame, and he is so deserving of this recognition of his talent and effort. And, uh, but you're not going to hear us talk about that during this interview, uh, because I was so jealous. I just didn't even want to acknowledge it. No, that's not really it. it. We recorded this interview weeks before the award, so uh, it just wasn't a topic of discussion. Okay, so now you know. All right, I am ready. Are you? Yes, I knew it. Great. Let's go below the frame with Ryan Dillon. Hello, 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 Ryan Dillon. Hi, hello. Matt Vogel. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for sitting down with me. Thanks Seriously. for having you know, me. You're welcome. Thank you for, you know, we could just go back and forth all day. In different ways we can thank each other. We're very kind. (laughs) I I would say that we... We know each other. We've worked together for years and <laughs> you years. You would and say years. that, wouldn't you? I would I, say it. <laughs> we have known each other for years and years. Yes. But I don't know if we've ever really sat down and just kind of talked about our histories, really. I don't not think really, so. Really, I don't think. Not I don't know if I know your middle name. What's your middle name? I. I don't feel comfortable. Oh my you. god! I put a sore spot already. <laughs> One minute, five seconds in. Yeah. No, it's James. It's my James. My middle name is James. What's what's John. your middle name? Mine is John. John. 
Those J's. Yeah, two J. Biblical names, maybe? James, I'm sure. Totes biblical, yep. Yeah. But we haven't discussed anything, really, our histories at length. No. Have we? Well, buckle off. Because we're going to do that with you. That's what we're going to do. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. All right, Ryan. So did you grow up in Philadelphia or outside? I grew up in Philadelphia. In like uh, in Northeast Philadelphia, which is like mm-hmm. thirty minutes from the downtown, it's thirty minutes from the Bell, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, I grew up there and I lived there until I was about eighteen, and then I moved outside of Philadelphia in a little place called Scranton, Pennsylvania. I lived there for a little while. And where the office is, takes place. Where the office takes it's, place. It, that's it's it's famous for that. It is famous. For that, yeah, and they've got like a they, they the local mall does like a like an office fest and like one of the people from the office shows up and it's like a huge thing that and then they like you know they drive down the main avenue and people cheer for them it's a that's kind of cool it's that's pretty, nice to celebrate cool. their hometown it's, it's nice it's nice <laughs> it is. wait tell me your about your family like who were name the members of your family my family's names are my uh, so my uh, my father is Jack Dylan and my mother is yeah. Marie. Dylan, and uh, I have a sister named Tina. What did your parents do? My father was, I always get it wrong, but he worked at electric, for years and years and years, he worked at an electrical supply company, and I can mm. never remember the, the t- his job title. Um, supervisor. He was a supervisor. Why not? He was very high up. <laughs> and, um, and my mother, and then he, um, in the evenings he would bartend. So I actually spent a lot oh. of my time as a kid in a bar where my father really? bartended. And it was great. It was like, you know, everybody was so nice. The regulars were like, like all oh, the kids are coming. You know, if I, there was a guy at the end of the bar who um, was bald and he used to eat onions like apples. And this is all, oh. this is all, this is not a bit, I swear to you. And oh. he would read the paper every day. And if I could write my name, he'd give me a dollar. This lasted oh. until I was about eight years old. <laughs> And I made wow. bank, man. I made bank. You sure did. Uh, yeah, but so my, my dad worked as a bartender. And then my mom um, did lots of different jobs. She worked in uh, mostly in, like, retail. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, you know, sort of a modest uh, household growing up. And yeah. uh, and what were things, other than going to bars, yeah. what, what, <laughs> what did you do up. as a kid? <laughs> what did yeah, I do yeah. as what, a kid? What were things you did? I was a, I was, uh, a very independent little kid. I was um, always kind of a ham, but shy around new people. I, uh, I puppets were always in my DNA, and drawing was. Was also it because of were, were puppets always in your DNA? Because of Sesame Street, and yeah, you've been Muppets, exposed to it. It was it. Uh, my first television memory is watching is seeing the Muppet. The very first time I remember seeing television was the opening of the Muppet Show. Oh, that's cool. And I remember, I, I, it's the, my, well, actually, my first real memory is seeing it through the bars of my um, crib <laughs> and just wanting to get into what? the TV with that kick line of like Muppet Ladies. And I was like, how do I get in there? And oh, man. So, yeah, I, that was super. So, you must early. have been nine or 10. I was nine or 10 in my crib. <laughs> I was writing my name on the, Looking on through. the. <laughs> yeah. Looking yep. through the bars of your yep. crib, yeah, because uh, you are—you were born in the late '80s, but you yeah. really are kind of a kid of the '70s. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. You're, well, what's weird your... about it is that I didn't. It's funny because people of my age will say, "Hey, remember that like Nickelodeon thing?" And I, 
Peripherally, mm-hmm. I do. What I was watching was all I, – I grew up in the, in the land of cable where yeah. it was all reruns. And I think it's also because that's what my parents tended to watch, you know, like – I remember my dad sitting me down and saying, like, you're going to watch this. And it was all in the family. And I was like six or seven. And we used to watch all in the family at night together. Um, So I kind of had and it was uh, there was just something about that kind of television that I really responded to, like Mary Tyler Moore and all of those sort of like those those sitcoms that were little one acts, you know, and there was something really appealing uh, about that. But then I also, you know, I loved obviously I love the Muppets. I was like the hugest Muppet nerd and I, you know, still mm-hmm. am, but that was my big thing. And then, uh, but Looney Tunes was a huge, big deal for me. Are your parents funny? My parents are, they, funny are, they are funny in, they are funny, but I don't think they would categorize themselves as funny. They do funny things. They're very eccentric. Yeah. Um, my dad definitely had more of a, uh, performance uh side to him he would do voices and he would read when we when we were kids he would read books to us in the voices and he would get into it um -hmm. so he had more of that kind of thing um and my mom my mother's very quirky and she's funny in ways that uh we then have to tell her that that she's funny she's funny because she's doing (laughs) strange things but she's uh we're all a little bit strange and um so a lot of it came. But that from makes for a fun family. It does. It does. They were. They were. Yeah. They're still incredible. They were super supportive of my very weird, never-ending obsession. I, th- I remember my mom thinking. And my mom said to me once, "If if you haven't grown out of this yet, I don't think you're going to." <laughs> I just no. thought, well, you're probably uh, right. Maybe right, mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you were growing up and you watched the Muppet Show, were you thinking? That I want to do that, or were you just obsessed with just watching the colors and the characters and the humor? Do you remember being conscious of that, thinking, I want to do that thing that they're doing? I remember being conscious of it very early Mm -hmm. um, because I knew who Jim Henson was super early. There was that because he died when I was. Uh, yeah. I was like two or three. I was like two a, years, I was a yeah. baby. But I knew who he was. And I remember my family was upset when he died. Like my mom, I remember being very upset mm. when he died. And um, I think maybe I knew more. I think I started to figure out a little bit more about it when they they did a special honoring Jim Henson with all the Muppets kind of fi- trying to figure out who he is. And and yeah. I remember seeing that really early. And I think maybe that showed the puppeteers. And then there was a um, another special that they did where Jim – had all the Muppets on a blue screen and he, uh, he took away the background. He took away the key mm-hmm. and he pulled back and all the puppeteers. It was Jim and Dave and Fran and you know, like the Titans. Yeah. And I just, that was from the Jim Henson from hour, the Jim Henson the, hour. Uh, secrets of the Muppets. Yep. Yeah. And I, I um, they air, they replayed that a lot in the nineties, um, for some reason. But I, I, so I saw that and I just thought, okay, well that's it. If, if people are, if that's a job, then ugh. first of all, I don't <laughs> I want to work. I have no interest in working because that's for the birds. And right. that seems like a lot of fun. Were you building puppets? Did you, did you have puppets around your house? I tried for years. I, I just figured it out that I've now been making puppets for 20 years, which is weird. It's yeah. Um, oh my gosh. But I, you, I tried for years to make puppets, but there was no way to, it was two things. Number one, I didn't, I wasn't really interested in making puppets at first, but it was like, an, I'm sure it was the same for you. Like it was a necessity. Yeah. You couldn't go to the puppet store. Like I had my little Fisher Price Miss Piggy, right. but like it's a toy. We're not going to, those weren't going to work. It's not going to work. Gonna f- I want something with a mouth. I want something with rods. I want the whole, yeah. I want the whole thing. And, um, 
In fact, the first puppet, the first real puppet I got was when I was about 10 or 11. And I, do you know Terry Angus? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't he's know. He's a terrific don't, guy. Don't, he's Yeah, I don't know him, but, I, but I've, I've seen his name. And Lovely. And he's a really talented puppet builder. And he, in the early days of the internet, um, made my first puppet for me. For like, oh really? For not, I mean, he was he was really generous to do it for what he did it for, and it was, but it was the wow. first time I could see a real puppet, you know, like a with the real foam and the real mouth, and the, and that inspired me to say, okay, well, now that I've seen it in person, I can kind of mentally break it apart and figure out how it is. You made. didn't take it apart. I did later. Look inside. I you did, did later, and I yeah, yeah, I never told him. Sorry, Terry, but he probably would have done the same thing. Oh well, yeah, I mean, you're how old were you? Do you think when when you did that, you were just trying to figure yeah, out? Yeah, like, I was how like, oh, do we do eleven this? or twelve? Oh my gosh, that's so young. Because I wanted to know. I couldn't figure out the ratio of like I knew it was a profile because I'd seen mm-hmm. somewhere I'd seen like Jim draw the profile and cut it out and foam and glue it. I'd seen that, but I didn't. I couldn't figure out the math. I'm horrible at math. So I'd make I, for years I would make heads and I couldn't wow. put my hand in or I couldn't I used to take uh, my stuffed animals like I used to take my Kermits and stuff and rip them up to yeah. make them puppets but the necks would always be too tight and right so it took a long time um, and then I finally learned how to, I, I learned how to kind of do it but there were no books I remember you know there you just had it was trial and error yeah um, at least on how to make. Puppets. I mean, I'm sure you were acquainted with the of Muppets and Men book when you were young. I didn't get it until I was a lot. That was that was. I'll never forget it because it was this legendary thing that I'd heard of, and that was something because of my age that was hard to get. You know, because it wasn't in print. But I had the works, which was the other book, and I actually. Oh, that's right. That would have been the one that would have come out early '90s. Yeah. And I and I read the cover off of it. The cover actually fell off of it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was on QVC, and I oh, I screamed at my mom upstairs like, "We have to buy this!" <laughs> and she, <laughs> she ran down the stairs, and uh, I got it for Christmas that year. But I got of Muppets and Men later, and when I saw that, that was like that. You know, that was um, molecular destruction in my mind. I just thought that I I got to do that. So in in grade school, in elementary school, and and and. Uh Middle school, high school, mm-hmm. were you doing puppets? Were you building puppets? Were you doing puppet shows? When I was really young, I did. When I was, I'll never forget, in first grade, I really wanted to put on a puppet show for the class. And I had, you know, I had my little Kermit and Piggy, and um, my dad made me a stage with curtains that opened and closed with like Sesame Street fabric from an old sheet. Yeah. It was like, it makes me want to cry when I think about it. And he, I know. He was like, look, I figured out how to open the curtains. And uh, That's so great. Uh, it, it makes me want to cry. But he, yeah. um, so anyway, I brought this thing to, to school, and my teacher was not super jazzed about me taking time out of the, the busy school day to be doing a puppet show. Right. But I did it anyway, and uh, <laughs> I did the whole show, and I was thinking, like, I really knocked it out of the park. Ryan, this is it for you. The stars are aligning. And yeah. at the end of it, my teacher said to me, Well, that was an extreme waste of time for all of us. <gasps> And I was this what? first grade, and I want to say this teacher's name, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to give her the satisfaction, but I'm going to say it in my brain. I'm saying it right now in my brain. She, oh. it left an imprint in me forever, and it, I kind of put puppets away a little bit. Like yeah. I, but I wanted to do them, so I would do them at home. Um, but I then I kind of pivoted. It's interesting thinking back now because I was trying to be really pragmatic at a very young age because I thought, mm-hmm. well, I like drawing, and I could probably get a job easier as an illustrator than I would as a puppeteer because you can, you can right. use it in a d- bunch of different ways. So I, I then did that for years. Like I would draw character, you know, I would draw Mickey Mouse for someone in school and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and, um, 
and I was always like, I was always doing bits and voice. Like I wasn't the class clown, but I, I kind of was always that guy who did voices and bits and impersonated yeah. people. So it all kind of congealed together. And then when I, I started picking puppets back up when I was in high school, um, cause I was a visual arts major. Um, which I, I thought for a long time was a waste of time, but I've actually learned well, in, in high school in you high were a visual school. arts major. You had like majors. We had majors. In high I went to a weird high school where it was it was college. It was basically all it, it was four years of college prep. Basically, it was, it was oh. setting you up for the college uh, lifestyle of of, of 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 learning. And so you would pick a major in your first year, and you could you could change your major. And I should have. I, I still regret to this day not switching to drama, but I was afraid. I was just mm-hmm. I was just gun shy about it. But so I stayed in visual arts, and uh, which actually ended up being really useful as a builder, but also like for composing shots. Like I learned about composition, and I learned about you know it, it's been valuable. But anyway, in my in my third year of high school, I needed some extra credit to get through a, one of the semesters or something, and so I. I said, well, if I make some puppets, will that work as a was that will that work as some extra credit? And my teacher was super supportive of that, and so I started making puppets again. And um, about a year or so after that was when the Sesame Street stuff started to happen, and then it kind of snowballed after that. Yeah, in high school you went to a Sesame Workshop puppeteer workshop, is that right? Yeah, in my um, I think it was my senior year, I went to a big audition in New York um, and it was very vague. I remember the listing was super vague about what it was. And then it turned out later to be something very big and very strange. But I just remember looking at it thinking, this is Muppets never looks for people. They, they, no one leaves the Muppets. I have to do this. And so again, my dad drove me to New York and I think he drove around New York for the day because he couldn't get a spot. I mean, it was it's amazing. So supportive. So supportive. It just, oh, my God. That's another thing. I, I really do think that that has a lot to do with it. it, it thank God that they were so supportive because if they weren't, I don't know if I would have kept going with it. But um, anyhow, so I went to this huge open call, and I was 17. I actually had to call Joe Roddy, or maybe it was Jill Colley at the time. I had to uh-huh. call and ask them because it was 18 and up, and I was 17. And, oh. And, um, or 16 maybe even. And they said, uh, well, we don't really look at people before. But I had been sending tapes in, so they kind of were peripherally aware. You know, Kevin had So they kind of knew who you, Kevin had seen your stuff? Kevin yeah, I, I, it was yours. one of those things where I'm sure they went, oh, the name, I know we know the name, yeah. but we don't know who you are kind of thing. Um, but I've been sending tapes and Kevin had been responding, you know, he called, he actually oh. called my dad one day when I was like 13, I started sending tapes when I was about 12 and I don't remember how I knew how to do that or, or how to, I don't know how I got the information to send it. But you seem like you were very driven anyway. So you figured it out, whatever it was. You, I kind of just knew was just that a I was blind un- call. I, I'm unemployable. So I, there wasn't really an option. <laughs> I was like, this has to work. <laughs> I gotta do this. I gotta do this. So, um, but he had been sending tapes and, and I remember he called one day and he, I was like, I think I was maybe 13 or something and, and he got, my dad picked up. I wasn't there for some reason. And he said, you know, he's, he's really good, but he's 13. So there's nothing we can do. So just, just keep sending them. And so every year I did, I sent, I sent tapes every year. And then, so anyway, going back to this audition, they finally said, okay, yeah, we'll let you in. But you know, I think they just thought, let's throw him a bone and let the kid come in and we'll let him go. And uh, 
so I went in, and it was a huge thing at Ripley Greer. It was this giant audition. There was like 200 people there. And, wow. uh Went in and it was it was it was uh, the sort of the judging table, the audition table. I never know what you're supposed yeah. to call that, but the table uh, of people who are judging you. And it's, uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was Kevin and it was Jane Henson, Martin Baker, and um, a bunch of people that I'm forgetting now. I mean, that's that's a big table. And I didn't know judges. Jane was going to be there, so it was like, yeah, I was like, oh my god, Jane and Martin Baker. It just was like really stressful, but. Um, I was kind of. I'm kind of glad I was so young that I didn't really know any better. I didn't know how serious of a yeah. thing that was. So I went in, and they made you do. I had to do the lip sync thing, and um, I brought my own ping pong ball eyes, which is oh, like I was that guy. Such a brown nuzzer. It was. It's <laughs> disgusting thinking back about it. And then Jane, no, did, you were no, you were prepared. You were. It's, it's inexcusable. You know. And uh, so anyway, we had to lip sync. We you know we did the counting in the mirror, and we went yeah. in in groups of like ten, and then. Everybody got cut from my group of 10 except for me, and I was stood in the room by myself, and uh, they wheeled out one of those telev- metal TV stands from school, and it was mm-hmm. a, and it had a monitor on it, <laughs> and someone brought out a camera, and then they had me lip sync just to see if I could like play the frame, and if I knew and monitor. At this point, ha- had you ever done monitor stuff? A little bit, because I... See, here's the other thing. We couldn't afford a camcorder. We... we, we mm-hmm. it, it, any extra thing that we had was like really extravagant. We just couldn't afford things yeah. like that. So for years, I had um, whose camera did I have? I had my uncle George's camera, and he he was like a tech guy, and so he gave me an old camera that I was able to use and hook up. But I didn't start using monitors until like a year prior to my audition. I I was oh just gosh. in the mirror, you know. And I would. Did like, you know that that was how they did it? I mean, did you know that? Oh, I got to figure this out and. I, kind of just fell out of my reach. I just thought like, well, I can't do that. Like, how am I going to set this up? And like, it just, at that time, it was still at a point where that was a little bit inaccessible if you didn't have the equipment. It was still a little tough. You didn't have it. Right. How are you going to do it? Right. And so, but I bet every year I asked, I was like, can we just like, can we go to Rent-A-Center and get one? And and we finally (laughs) got my, my, um, my uncle let me borrow one. So I was able to hook it up. But prior to that, I'd just done mirror, which actually was really valuable because I think if I had started with monitor right away, and had to learn eye focus and lip sync and composition and all that stuff, I think I would have thrown in the towel. I was glad that I had like four or five years of just puppeteering in a mirror because then it becomes second nature, you know? Were you able to do that flip, that mental flip in that audition? At that point, I kind of already knew about that. I kind of already knew okay. how to like, it, it didn't throw me so much because once I got that camera, that was it. I like, I did it every day. I would come home from school yeah. and like drill it. And, um, so you felt comfortable enough at this point at this audition when yeah. <laughs> they wheel out this TV and you're like, yeah, okay, I can do that. I felt fine. I, did, I certainly didn't feel comfortable, but I felt like I, it, because it was such uh, it was such a simple task. It was just lip sync to a song and play the frame. I just thought, okay, that I can do. I wasn't I wasn't confident in characters or anything like that. But right, and then so then in, in perfect fashion, it makes a lot of sense to me now. Uh, I finished my thing, and people were receptive, and I remember people had okay things to say, and, and Kevin just said to me, uh, stay stay today, because I need to talk to you. <laughs> I like, okay. Right. And I didn't know any better, but, uh, but I stayed for about f- like four and a half, five hours, and I'm thinking, <sighs> does he know, does he remember that he yeah, said I that? Did. 
and <laughs> I'm just watching people come and go and come and go, and I'm just like the kid waiting around. And finally, but it, yeah. it, it, the sun was setting, and I just thought, oh, how much longer is this going to be? And finally, he came out, and he was done, and he had his brief, like he was ready to go. The car, the car had been called, and oh. I, uh, I said, oh, I'm so sorry, you ha- you asked me to stay, and he was, like, oh yeah. Uh, we're going to use you on the parade, and uh, you're going to do the next season, and uh, someone in Henson will call you in a couple days. Wait, what? That was your... left. <laughs> <laughs> that was your... You're one of us now. Yep. And, and uh, you're going to be on the parade, and you're going to be... You're going to do the season. parade, go. and you're going to do this, that, and the other. Come back tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. And I just thought, oh, my God, that... Did your brain just fall out of your ear at that did. point? It did. I did, did not you think... Ex- I, you didn't expect it? I didn't expect it, and I didn't... I just didn't know how to process it. Maybe I just, I, I just. How could you? And I also think it was one of those things where I didn't want to. Be, I didn't want to let myself believe it if it didn't happen. You know, it was one right. of those where I was like, I know enough about this business to know that this might not be anything. So just mm. wait it out. But I did immediately. I called my parents and I did the whole thing. And and then I did. Uh, I came back the next day for a, like a like a callback day with puppets and stuff. Um, and then that November, the first thing I did. Was the parade? I did Ernie in the parade, and it was amazing. What was the uh, what? What year was that? Two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. And uh, where were you? You must have been upstairs with Ernie. I was upstairs. The, I was upstairs in the yeah. in that middle window, which is okay. really hard with Ernie and Bert. I remember Eric yeah. looked at me and he goes, "You're gonna have to give me some room." And I was like, oh, "Yeah, okay, no problem." <laughs> and he was just messing with me, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I. And uh, during the whole performance, we were, like, kind of fighting for room. Because those are big puppets. Ernie and Bert are huge. Yes. And, and small uh, windows. And they used to just, I don't know if they still do, but it used to be that they just stayed in one window together. Yeah. And uh, I remember watching, you know, there's a delay on them. I don't know if people know this, but when we're doing the parade, there's a delay uh, on the monitors. So it's it's kind of challenging to do really good puppetry on it. And uh, yeah. I mean, any delay on the monitor is bad, but this delay is like a three-second delay. It's an insane amount of delay. So by the time your shot comes up and you're like, oh, gosh, there I am, it's already gone. Were you doing? Were you in Bird the year that uh, it was like two, maybe it was like a minute and a half before we were going to go to um, Macy's. We were going to land at Macy's. And the monitor switched and it turned to the Dick Cavett show on Antenna TV. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie and I are just sitting there watching him interview. I, I don't remember uh, who. Danny Kay. It was Danny Kay. <laughs> like, oh, this is interesting. We're almost amazing. Uh, uh, anyhow, so that that first year, um, I did Ernie, and I couldn't really see the monitor. You know, it's so tiny in the frame, too. Yeah. And I remember watching it back on TV because my parents had recorded it. And it's just Ernie's – how do I explain this without seeing it? Like, I rested Ernie on the ledge of the window. Okay. Like a dumb person would do, and, and so like or one of very his, smart, <laughs> very smart man I am, and so like one of his hands is pinned, so that's like hanging out the window. Uh, you can see he yeah. doesn't have legs, and I was just like, oh no, that's it. I'm not going to do the season. He's going to see this, and right. I'm not going to do the season. I'm done. I'm done. Because that is that fear of like when you're so new. Yes. That. Everything everything counts. That you do. Yes. Is is being looked at and. And picked apart, yeah. and you know that's not entirely true. Maybe, maybe it was at one point, but we do expect you to mess up, right? You know, you come to learn that over time. You're like, yeah, I can mess up, and, it's and okay. I did. But I totally get, <laughs> I totally get that feeling of like, if I mess this up, and yes. now you have it on. You had there's proof 
on national television. So, yeah, it's somewhere in the NBC Universal archives. You can <laughs> you can find yeah. some really horrible uh, puppetry. Um, but you 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 made it through that. I made it through. I had a great time, and I I just kind of couldn't believe it the whole time. It's the whole thing was a bit of a blur. And then the next month was when I started at Sesame Street. I was there for like maybe like three or four weeks that first season, which was a substantial <laughs> chunk of time at that point because I think we were. I, I, maybe I may not have been 26 yet. Maybe it was 26 shows in 2005. I can't remember. I can't remember. Either. It was something like that. If it wasn't 26, it was like 35. Or it was like a small right, number right. of shows. Um, but that's pretty good being there for that amount of time. It was amazing. I mean, I was I really really screwed up a lot, but I I learned very quickly two things. I learned what television production was like, but I also learned how to work in a in a work environment. I didn't I never had a job. You know, and this so, is your first job. First job, which is very weird thinking back and I I actually think I was too young. I've thought about that a lot. I think Why do you think you were too young? What, what, did you make mistakes that now you look back and go, "Ah, I wish I hadn't." That and I, I should have known or how could I just you? don't think I had the social awareness at the point. I think I was just too young. You know, I just didn't know yeah. enough about um the real world of, of working at a job. I mean, it's 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 the best job of the world, but, you know, it's a job. And so there's – I think I just – I learned a lot on the fly, and I was glad to do that. But I think I could have – I needed two or three more years to cook. You know, yeah. I just needed – and I think there was something to be said about, like, life experience and stuff like that. Because um, I was there for a couple years, and then I wasn't there for a couple years. Now, was that your choice? No. Or was – you just didn't hear back? No, the phone stopped ringing. And I kind of just felt like – Obviously, the first thing you do is, what did I say? Right. Do. Uh, maybe he's just done with you know having me around. Um, and it, 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 it's probably none of those things specifically, but looking back, mm-hmm. I go, oh, I, I just, again, I think I needed life experience. I needed to go out and, 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 and have a point of view and, and right. figure out, um, you know. And I, and I did. I went away, and I, I, I moved away from home, and... Uh, had a puppet building company with my, at that time, my creative partner, Patrick Holmes, we mm-hmm. had a puppet building company and a performing company. And we did shows all over the place. And mainly we built puppets for outside clients. At this point, had you already been to like the O'Neill? Yeah. I think, I, I think my first O'Neill was my first Sesame Street year. Cause I think Pam said, ah, you, you should, should come this do thing. this thing. Um, and I did that a couple times. I did the O'Neill a couple times. Um, and it was valuable at that time. I think it was, mm-hmm. for me, it was very valuable at that time to learn um, about the other puppetry styles. Cause I, at that, yeah, you're getting a lot of different flavors yeah, there. Yeah, and I was, open, I was open to them, but I never, I thought, well, I'll see. Maybe that is, maybe I'll gravitate towards something else, you know. And, and right. it, you know, it was valuable. Like, actually, you know, it was valuable for tabletop. Because mm. you can't really teach yourself how to do tabletop puppetry, and you, <laughs> right. you know, like you need people yeah. and you and need help. Yeah, and so that it was valuable for that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so I'd done the O'Neill. I'd done I, I, puppets. Just kept happening for me, and it wasn't going away. Um, and so I felt like, yeah. okay, well, that's the reason to stick with it. If I'm still thinking about this, and if I'm still, right. you know, obsessed with it, that must mean something. And you're now how old? To early twenties. Tw- tw- oh, now? No, no, not now. Then, <laughs> then. nine yeah, yeah, hundred. Yeah, I was yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my first O'Neill. I was probably eighteen, and I did that. You know, eighteen to twenty-one, maybe. And at this time, you and Patrick also had your uh, uh, yeah. company. 
Yeah. And you were building puppets for outside clients. Were you doing anything else? Did you do any other kind of puppetry things? I was working retail. I was working at Borders Books, and Uh, it was a bummer, man. I'll never forget the first, my first week of working there, I was ringing up a DVD that I was in. And it was really a huge wake up call. Uh, A home video. Yeah, it was like uh, a Sesame Sesame DVD. And I was like, oh, yeah, I worked on this two years ago. And, uh, you know, you can't say that to the person. They're like, that's right. nice. Uh, what's the total, please? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so, but I, it was another, it, I'm actually really glad I did it because it gave me a, a lot of perspective about the real world and, yes. um, you know, it, just how hard it can be. Uh, right. But anyhow, so I did that for a year or two and then um, was always building puppets. I moved back to Philadelphia when I was about 21 or 22. And then um, moved to New York when I, I guess I was around that age. I guess I was 22. Yeah, I would have been mm-hmm. 22. And I moved to New York, and slowly things started to kind of creep up and happen. But it took a while. It wasn't like, I'm in New York, so here I am, Sesame Street. It, 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 right. You know, those things take time. Do you remember that first thing that came to you when you did finally move to New York? And yeah. They, I, well, the, first, the reason I came here was because uh, John Tartaglia was doing a show. He was doing uh, Imagine Ocean. He was doing Imagine Ocean off-Broadway, and he asked me to come yeah. audition for it. So I auditioned for it, and then... Um, how had you known John Tartaglia? So, oh, you, so that's how, another how part of the him? story. I met him right before the auditions uh, for Sesame Street because oh, wow. he was doing puppetry workshops. Mm-hmm. In in the city in Ripley Greer actually, and I uh, I did those, and so we became friendly at that point. And he, I think, maybe had been like saying my name around Sesame and to Kevin and stuff, and yeah, um, as just like a okay, this is a kid in a couple years to look for. Um, so I knew him from that. So he kind of knew what I was capable of at that point, and he he asked me to come audition, so I auditioned, and then that's why I moved was because that show had started up. And I did that for about, I don't remember how long that was. It was less than a year, but it was a it was the better part of a year. Um, and that was live on stage. It was live on stage. It was a, it was like a black Eight times light. a week. It was, it, uh, I wasn't. Or did you do a f- I'm trying to remember. It started out like six shows a week, and then it got like less and less maybe to like mm-hmm. three or four shows a week. Um, and it was a fun time. You know, I was really young, so I think, I think I took a lot for granted too, and I, 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 you know, when you're that age, it's hard to see things for what they really are. We're going to pick up with Ryan Dillon in just a few minutes, but now it's time to take a moment and celebrate Jerry Nelson. Jerry had an amazing life, and it was filled with a lot of highs and lows. And today, we're going to hear about one of the uh, <clears throat> one of the highs. Uh, this story takes place in the '50s, long before Jerry met Jim Henson or found himself on Sesame Street. And this is a fair warning here. It is a story about an experience with drugs. John Kennedy is going to read that story, but first, a memory. Here's John. One of my favorite memories of Jerry was uh, back when I first started on Sesame Street, and uh, I was doing a lot of couch surfing. I wasn't living in New York yet, and. Um, uh, one night came along after work. I had no place to stay, so I decided to stay in the Muppet green room. And uh, as Jerry Nelson was leaving the green room, he saw that I was kind of hanging out there, and he said, well, where are you going after this? And I said, well, I'm just going to stay here because I don't have any other place. And he said, no, you're not. You're coming home with me. So 
he drove me to his place and I stayed in the spare bedroom and I'll always remember his kindness. So here's Jerry's story. 1953, My Life in the Alternate Universe, Part 1. I think I became interested in drugs in high school. It was literature that first alerted me to the fact that there were drugs that could alter one's perception. In books about New York gangs, I learned of marijuana and heroin. I knew from reading about it that I was not going to go near heroin. But reefer interested me. For a year after graduating high school, I worked at the post office in Arlington, Virginia. I was still living at home then, and after work, I would come home, shower and shave, have dinner with my parents, and then go into Washington, D.C. to a little club in the heart of downtown named Rand's. I closed the place almost every night. I got to know the house band and the doorman. Tiny knew me by name. I went to after-hours parties and was once taken to a, a black club called The Caverns. I was always bugging those cats to try to score some pot. Now, this was in the 50s and not to be bandied about. Not nearly so widespread and accepted as it was later. Well, after months of asking around, Willie the drummer sold me one thin Tootsie Pop stick-sized joint for a buck. I was excited when I called my friend Mike and told him of my score. We had spoken of this before I knew Mike wanted to try this weed out, too. I picked him up at his house, and we drove around Arlington looking for a quiet street to sit and smoke this herb we had read so much about. We finally settled on a small street with houses on only one side that was situated on a high hill that overlooked Lee Boulevard. We had some nice jazz on the radio. We lit up and sipped on it like it was described in the books. Uh, that's why they called it tea. By the time we got three-quarters of the way down the popsicle stick-like joint, we were thinking we had been played. You feel anything? I asked Mike. No, do you? No, I replied. I think we got burned. We just sat there a while feeling mellow, but somewhat disappointed. Hey, man, dig how the shadows of the leaves on the windshield are moving in time to the music. Yeah, man, I was just grooving on that synchronicity. We sat there a while, mellowing even more. Dig that light down the hill, man. Which one? Oh, wow, you mean that blue one? There was this intense electric blue neon light pulling our focus down the hill. That would be so cool in Bop Basement. Mike had his own apartment in the basement of his mom's house with a separate entrance around the side of the house. Let's go down there and find it and take it. I started the car up and we headed off the hill to capture our fabulous blue light. It was down on Lee Boulevard, wasn't it? Yep, that's what it looked like. Well, we got down the hill and found our fantastically cool, intense blue light. It was at the hot shop and still beautifully blue. All eight feet of the hot shop man sign on top of his 20-foot metal pole. I guess it wouldn't fit in Bop Basement, even if we could get it down off that pole. <laughs> we laughed and laughed. I guess maybe we did get a little high there, huh? Oh, yes. Thank you, John. A little bit later, we hear a song from Jerry. 
We're back with Ryan Dillon talking about working on John Tartaglia's Imagine Ocean. It was um, a really good experience for me because it forced me to live in New York, which is very different than commuting to New York. And I remember thinking, this is your test. Like, can you stand this? Can you stand living in New York? I think I was lucky because I lived in Philly. It wasn't that far removed. Yeah. I didn't live in the city of Philly. I lived, like, in a slight sort of suburb. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge culture shock for me to come here. But there was a learning curve to that. Um, And then I would just pick up building jobs whenever I could. I did a lot of puppet building in those first few years here just to make ends meet. Um. And after that show closed, were you? Did you think, okay, well, I'm here now. Now I have to, you know, bust my butt to try to find uh, yeah. more. I was more um, stuff. It's funny how it kind of worked out because they were going to go do the tour of Imagine Ocean, and I was mm-hmm. um, not asked to be a part of that tour. And I kind of felt like, oh boy, what am I going to do now? Because now it's this, it's this thing of, do I go home? Or do I stick it out and, you know, do the ramen thing? And <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, luckily, I mean, it just, it just worked out to be, it was, it was, uh, incredible how it worked out. The next day, Kevin called me and mm-hmm. I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, I'd been in and out of Sesame at that point. When I was doing Imagine Ocean, I was, I was, I was around, but I, you know, it was a day like, here, a day, a day here, there, a day there. Home video. Right. Little um, things, yeah. And uh, so he said, oh, I'm d- we're doing this new character, and I was going to do it, but I don't, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so I want you to come in and do it. And it was, uh, it was for, a, um, I don't know how you describe it. It was for Xbox. It was like a, it was a digital interactive game system um, with Xbox, and they needed a host. It was for Sesame Street, and they wanted a new character right. who was like a digital Muppet host. And so... Um, I came in and I did a couple of, um, not auditions, but like red stuff. And I remember you and I worked together at Henson yeah. on stuff with it. And, uh, that was the first sort of like entry back into things full time. What was that character's name? I don't Co- remember. His name was Cooper. Um, and it was all digital, right? It was, there was two versions of the puppet. So the, the, one of the versions was a normal standard hand puppet, like a Muppet style puppet. Um, who was really great? I wish we I wish we could have used him because he was a beautiful puppet. But he was just as a reference for the for the um, animators who were doing all the mm-hmm. animation, like the post work on it and the rendering they were doing all in um, London. So I think maybe they shipped that puppet over for like reference for the fur movement and stuff like that. That was one right. puppet, and then the other puppet was just a blank fleece puppet, same pattern but with no fur, and it had tracking marks all over it. And in the studio, we shot it at what was Screen Gems at the time, and I think that's gone now. But they're all over the soundstage. It was a huge soundstage, and all over the stage were. Um, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna. It's. I'm not gonna get it right. But there were like these laser infrared cameras, and uh-huh. on every, on every let's say, three feet, there was a camera all the way wrapped around, which were reading the sensors on the puppet, so it got a full three dimensional view. So in post wow. and in rendering, they could turn the puppet around if they wanted to. They, they could, could do whatever they wanted. Do whatever they wanted. And so Which I, is usually not the way that we like to perform. It we was like weird. to perform where we know exactly what is being seen at home. Yeah, and I had said Very I actually said as much to Kevin. I thought, I don't know if I, I are you going to be watching these when they're done? Because what are they going <laughs> to do? And he said, Yeah, right. we're we're worried about that too. We're concerned, but we're we're going to learn together and figure it out. And he, you know, it ended up being like sometimes you would do a physical eye line that 
took a second for the render to catch up. So sometimes mm-hmm. they would adjust your eye line quicker to basically the way I shot it was is on two was it two cameras? I can't remember now, but I had two feeds. I had the live feed where I could see what was happening in real time, and then right next to it, I had the rendered version, the real time, not uh, rendered, but the real time version of the zeros and ones of the digital puppet. It was a lag, a little bit of a lag, a little bit of lag, and you know, some, it was like somewhat. choppy and stuff. But it was just yeah. to yeah. give you a sense of you had to overcorrect sometimes with your eye line, so it was really tricky. Um, but I think it was really good because it, it it got me to think in another way, and it and it and it you kind of just had to do it. But it was just you too. I mean, it was you. It was it was me and Laura McLean did my hands. I think both times because we did two quote unquote seasons of it. We did about like sixty of them, and I. Th- but that's a lot of hours on camera, or even if it's a virtual, even if it's virtual camera, you are on camera getting experience and getting uh, some feel mm-hmm. comfortability on camera. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of time on camera. It was the most valuable thing, and Kevin was there for. I don't know that he was there for the first round, but I think maybe he was there for the second round, and he kind of just like sat there and let me do my thing. And he didn't really, yeah. you know, Kevin. Kevin very much would tell you if if he felt something wasn't going the right way, he would tell you how to do it. And I kind of thought, yes. oh, he's going to not be happy with anything I'm doing. And he and to his credit, <laughs> he kind of just sat there and let me do it, you know. And I think yeah. it was just his way of seeing how is this kid handling this and. Is he? Can he do it? And that was was that your first character that you were able? Yeah, that you had done yeah. for Sesame Workshop. I mean, really? I'd, I'd done like AMs with like too long. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like little bitty stuff. But as far as a character was concerned, yeah. And then there was this basketball puppet that he had me do. This like, um, it's Crystal Ball now. We use it as Crystal mm-hmm. Ball, but it was this orange foamy puppet that was with Elmo. So it was this ball puppet that was in Elmo's hands for days and days and days. And so whenever he whipped around, I had to whip oh around. God, you know, it was, around. Of, yeah. it was one of those kind of things. But it, I, Keep up with Kevin. Keep up with Kevin. <laughs> and it taught, But it taught me really fast. I mean, it, that was the nice thing about it. You didn't really have time to worry about how well you were doing. And I mean, it's probably really – I'm sure if I watched it now, it would be really hard to watch. But it, it, it taught me really quickly about – you know, because at that point, I still was figuring out who my characters were. Like, I didn't have cemented yeah. characters yet because I was 22, 21. I just didn't have it right. in me. So um, it was a huge learning curve, but it was really fun. I, I just I had a, I have a lot of happy memories from that time because it just felt like, okay, here we go. This is something. Yeah, and you're able to do that and put away a little money and and were you still doing puppets on the side, creating puppets for other clients? And yeah, uh, I. Was I doing it for? I th- I must have been. I must have. Yes, I was. I was making puppets for outside clients. But I, don't, I think what was interesting, the timing of it worked out in an interesting way, where the puppet building, uh, the business, that business started to crumble right at the time that I was starting to get puppeteering work. So like, wow. I, there were a couple years there where I was non. I had clients like one after another making puppets, and then it just all dried up immediately. It just stopped. Um, wow. Like across the city, there are people. And I think you know, it's that thing where puppets come in waves. People get really excited yes. about puppets, and then they're not, and then they are. And so maybe it was just at the end of one of those waves. Um, so it was kind of serendipitous that it happened that way because I, I wasn't getting as much building work as I, I had been, and I didn't. I wasn't enjoying it. You know, I wasn't. It was. It was good to make all those puppets for the ten thousand hours part of it. You know, you have to. You have <laughs> yes. to get enough work experience to get good at it. But it. I was working with other people's designs, and when you work with clients, it's not it's not necessarily the most creative way to make puppets. When did you start doing your own puppets for yourself? Um, 
I kind of always had, well, when I started making puppets, I, I would always have little characters for them, but it was never anything substantial. Um, you know, when I started building puppets, I had a little group of characters that kind of didn't do they a were whole, your guys. Yeah, but they were very, um, you know, they, they, they weren't very strong characters at that point, but they had little personalities. And But then my first real character that I did was when I moved to um, Scranton, and it was one of Patrick's puppets, actually. It was an owl puppet um, that I was. I kept pushing him to finish because I, I would come visit him every couple weeks, and I'd see it on his. He had this beautiful puppet rack with all these puppets on it, and uh, I saw this owl head, and I thought, "Oh, what's that?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm I'm working on a puppet, an owl puppet, because I might be doing something with the local PBS affiliate." And I said, "Oh, that's cool," and leave and come back, and it hadn't been finished, and I'd say, "What do you? You got to get working on that puppet." And this happened about three or four times in one week, and I said, "We are making this puppet, okay? <laughs> if I have to make it, I'm going to make it. We are making this puppet because I just saw something in it. There was a really cool design of an of, yeah. of an owl. So we built that puppet, and that became a character that I started doing, a character called Phoebe that." Um, I just who is ridiculous. It's very stupid, and um, but I just started. I would just bring her places. Like we would go to, like you know, we were in like the improv scene and that you know tiny little art theater scene. And so I'd start taking her to stuff and improving with people and filming it, and you know, just to get a sense of like. I really wanted to hone a style where it was really conversational. You know, and because I wasn't a writer, so I thought, well, I, I like this idea of the off-the-cuff improvisation style. That because when I was a kid, I was always really attracted to like when Frank or Dave would be on the Today Show, and maybe they're a little tired and they're not reading the jokes that they were given, and they're just kind of, you know, like that was something that was yep. really appealing to me. So that was my first real character, and that was the, that was my first. I got laughs, and I thought, oh, I can do characters. I just didn't think I was good enough for a long time, you know? And I, I, I think that's a common thread, right? Like, Frank I would say so. he didn't do voices for a long time, and, yeah. you know. Had you, had you taken any acting classes or even any improv classes up to this point, or were you just winging it? Uh, a little bit of both. Like, nothing nothing super formal, you know? Like, I was mm-hmm. I was in the world of improv people, so I had done stuff. I had done that kind of thing. But on a on a very local level, it wasn't. Um, I hadn't really trained, and as I say, when I was in high school, and I didn't go to college because um, at that dis- time of deciding whether I was going to go to college, that's when Sesame Street kind of started to happen. Yeah, and um, I had to make a choice, and for whatever you know, good or bad, that was the choice I made. So I never really had um, real acting training. Um, mm-hmm. I just pulled from the things that I loved, you know, and I, I was a big, I've always been a studier of like sketch comedy. Like SNL was a, mm-hmm. it, it was a huge deal for me. Um, yeah. I mean, that was appointment television for me. And even if it wasn't good, you know what I mean? I just, I loved, you know, I, I was watching when it was like Chris Farley and all those people. And I just, yeah, yeah. that was what really appealed to me. People with bold, huge characters. And so it was less, I, I had less formal training and more just sort of study of, of people's performances. Yeah, and there's some there's some instinct instinct there too, that you just kind of you know, and, and if you're successful at doing making and creating this bold character, I mean, you're doing it. You're doing yeah. the thing that you're setting out to do. And there's a lot um, to be learned from watching too, because I remember I, even when I was younger, I would think, oh, they dropped their cue or like they didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that I I think I kind of learned that way just by sort of observing, especially I, which is that is a key component i think to being a muppet performer is being observant of of everything of comedy of the tiny little 
movements that puppeteers that you admire do, the uh, uh, the way that they deliver a line, you know, even in beyond the puppeteer world to be an observe an observer of life of the world yes. of people out there and characters out there that you can go, I can take that and do something. Yes, with it. and I. It's funny because I, when I was really young, um, when I met Jerry Nelson, he had said things like that. He was like, you know. Um, go to the park and like watch squirrels and like watch a chicken and like see how they all those kind of <laughs> yeah and it is there there's something really valuable about just kind of being open and observing I'm a studier anyway like I, I find mm-hmm. I find social experiments fascinating people find I'm fascinated by people and the why they you know I always thought if you know psychology was always something I wanted to maybe enter mm-hmm. into if I didn't do puppets or cartoons. <laughs> and so, um, so I think that yeah. helped a lot, you know, I think it, it helped. And then it, later when I was developing my own characters, I kind of figured out why I was making the choices I was making, like what internally within me, why was I making these characters these way? And it sort of makes what, you think about What do you think it is that's the most important thing? If you had to pick one thing, what's the most important thing when you're creating a character? Just be really honest with yourself. I, I think it, you kind of have to look inside. And for me, it's different for everybody, but for me, I it, it's a harsh way to say it, but it's the only way that makes sense to me. I used to take the things I didn't like about myself hmm. and, and, and try and make them either a positive and push them through a character or um, I think you just have to look internally. And, and, and it, it kind of didn't... It, sometimes the best characters are the organic ones where you don't have a, it's not a construct it's not okay I'm going to create uh, a, a little boy and he's six and he loves Legos but he always eats them and blah 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 you, you have all this stuff but it doesn't the most natural characters are the ones that just kind of happen and for me it was just listening to myself and being honest with myself as far as um, not pushing characters that didn't feel real to me if it, if I didn't have any sense of where that character came yeah. from it wasn't making any sense it's hard to describe that's a very it's not tangible and it's no but I know what you mean you know it, and everybody's kind of different Jerry would say that you know he would take that part of uh, something uh, all those characters that Jerry did they came from him it was it, and who he was it was just taking that aspect of whatever it is like for the the count he is uh, obsessive about numbers and he would just take that part of being obsessive about whatever it is and blow it up mm-hmm. and that's what he did with his characters he would just make that Amplify that it. little physical or mental or whatever attribute, and just blow it up into this big, yes. bold character. And those are the characters I was always really into, especially like all everything SNL, but like Muppets too. Like you know, bold characters and people who could only who could only be themselves. Like I, you know, like people like Jerry, like Joey comes to mind. People who are like. Mm-hmm. unabashedly just themselves, and I always found that yeah. really appealing because. You could pick them out in a crowd, and they were, you know, they were adding something to that group. Um, no one sounds like, or you know, like no one sounds like so and so. You know, only Jerry could do Jerry, and, and there was yeah. something really exciting yeah. to me about that. And I think that was part of the reason why I wanted to do characters yeah. too. I just thought I, I really want to add that kind of thing. I want to, and it took a while for me to figure out. And I would, I'd say definitely you do that. Oh well, that's very kind of you. To it does. It does take a while, though. It does take a while to kind of figure out how to do it and for whatever way it means for 
any individual mm-hmm. how to create these characters in whatever way it is, whether it is taking a part of yourself or whether it is seeing something in something you're observing and taking that and making it into something. And now it's but the venue, too. It it's like, what venues do you have to do it in? You have to kind of be a self-starter because, you know, for a long time the way it was was, you know, you would go in and do your AMs and then you'd figure out, oh, that character's funny. We're going to start writing for that character. And that, that kind of... Yep. More shows afforded the ability to do that, and now it's a smaller cast, and it's a, for you know it just it, it's just the nature of the beast. But so for me, it was a little bit about I kind of thought I would learn all those things on Sesame Street, and it, that wasn't the case really. But I learned mm-hmm. who my characters were, and I listen. I don't have it figured out. I, it, it's it's a it's a process always, and every time I watch stuff, I think, oh god, that, yeah, it's horrible. You are pushing. You were at eleven the whole time, you know. So I'm always analyzing, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> I think well, it was yeah. helpful for me to have characters to go to Sesame Street with, right? So I could pull out, like, I've right. got, like, my, my little stable of characters, and I could pull that character out and use it for this pig or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I didn't develop them there. They kind of all happened because I, I, they, I, I felt the need to make them, and I felt the need to create them, and I just did it by myself so. for YouTube and stuff. Does this does this bring us to then talking maybe about we'll come back to Elmo because I do feel oh, like I that's forgot a, about him. Sort of <laughs> but I do think that this is a good time to talk about maybe the the Idiot Club. Sure. Just tell us what the Idiot Club is basically for those of you who don't know. Right, the Idiot Club is a is um, a group of characters. It's always really hard to describe these things. It's, people are so much better at it than I am. And it's my mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but uh, Mark Gale and I, who I met at um, a puppeteer workshop for Sesame Street, actually, in 2006. And uh, we were paired together, and we became really fast friends. And we had lots of very similar interests and a very similar sense of humor. He's got, like, a weird, dry, but also big sense of humor. Bold, big, but also dry. And um, we just clicked. And so we had we had decided we were going to work together after that. And he had a character already called Frank the horse that he was doing with Frankie Cordero. So I helped him with that. And really I was helping him like with the writing and the directing. I mean, it was very much like, let's get a camera and shoot stuff in the house. It wasn't a real thing. It was just, let's play and see. It was just for us. You know, we never really thought Mm -hmm. anything of it. And then as we were developing stuff, it just kind of naturally happened that all the characters, I started coming up with characters and they all came from different, for different reasons. They all came out of different things. But it just made sense for us to combine our characters and um, do something with it. So the Idiot Club basically is, uh, you know, we have an Instagram page, and that's mostly where we do stuff. But it's 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 just a place for us to get our characters out there. So it's, you know, weird, improv, monologue things. And it's these bizarre characters, these weird, yeah. funny characters and you've you guys have created the characters. You're writing them. I mean, there's like they're some pretty they're produced pieces. You know, they they. It, it, how do you create those? Um, yeah. So we kind of do everything ourselves because we never we're not good at asking for help. And uh, <laughs> and I just there's something really appealing to me about kind of being a little studio in a box. There's something exciting about that. But, and it also, I, I've always used it as an opportunity to learn. You know, I, I -hmm. I was like, Oh, this is how I figure out how to direct. And this is how I figure out how to write. And, you know, I'm still not a very strong writer, but it disagree. Well, you you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not my, it's not my, it's not my thing, but I, uh, you know, I just, 
Mark and I, we goof off. We talk every day, and we would just sit there and do stupid voices to each other all day, and we thought, well, let's just do something with this. Even if it doesn't get any attention, and even if people don't see it, let's just do it. Um, and let's do the thing that we're not seeing a lot of with puppets. Let's, let's do that thing that we wish we were seeing more of. And it ended up just kind of being this weird off-the-cuff um, it's hard to describe. I mean, I hate saying that it's avant-garde because it just seems so highfalutin. But it's it's not. Um, it's it's character study. You know, it's all these. You know, yeah. it'll be it'll be. You know, two minutes of of one of my characters going on about some weird thing. But it's some absurdity. There's some yeah, absurdity absurd there, and which is good. I mean, that's kind of like what Jim Henson did back in the early days, yeah. and even with the Muppets, yeah. there was some absurdity to it. It was not just what you would expect, right? And all kinds of bizarre things. Yeah, in these and videos. there's yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a fun little thing to do, and it's just a nice outlet to get the get get my stuff out of my brain. You know, a lot of times what'll end up happening is as far as how they're produced. Um, sometimes it starts with something that we've riffed on. That will then pull together and write a script on. Sometimes it's improvised. Sometimes it's I'm thinking about something or something has pissed me off that day, and I I go to the microphone and I start talking in a character, and it comes out. Um, and a lot of the things work out that way, where it's like a pre-recorded monologue that I will then shoot footage for and edit down. And um, but and or, and you know sometimes there was there was a series that we did where. Um, we didn't. We we were supposed to shoot this big giant thing at Mark's house, and it kind of just fell through. We ran out of time, and I said, "Okay, well, I'll take Kip, one of my characters. I'll put him in the back seat, and you get in the front seat. You start driving around, and we'll just film it. We'll see what happens." And yeah. and it ended up being really fun and stupid, and that's kind of that's kind of what it is. As far as producing, it ends up just being, you know, um, everything's down and dirty, which is kind of how I like it. We 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 um, we actually shot a pilot. Um, it was a huge production. It was very expensive, and, and uh, it was looking, you know, the prospects were very high for something happening and stuff. And we actually realized, oh, it's, it looks too good. It's too expensive looking. It's too, it looks too good. It looks too good. It looks too much like the Muppets almost. Like it just, you know, when you get higher uh. production value, it, it part of the charm goes away. And so mm. um, just for us, you know, it just felt like, oh, you kind of, it kind of needs to be like in the basement. It needs to, you know, but with some sort of panache to it. So, um Anyhow, very long-winded, strange way of describing what it is, but we—it's—it's it's just an outlet for for us to get our characters out there because you know it's gonna—we got to get it out. I mean, do you have any kind of bigger scale dream for the? Well, idiots? the dream's always been to do the show, and you know it's hard. We, we we've gotten close a couple times, and um, it's just hard to sell puppets, man. It's a—it really is. We've gotten really close, and then gotten really far, and really close, and really far, and. Um, so you know we're trying to figure out what that means right now, um, and and because listen, it's a it's a it's a huge gamble for a network to buy yeah. a puppet show. Puppets are super expensive, even if you do them cheap, um, and they're it's not a known quantity, right? It's not like mm-hmm. you know it's it, the whole thing. The whole first season ends up being your proof of concept, and then that you know it's, right. you know it ends well, up. Being but then really even expensive. then, you know when you even when you are Sesame Street or the Muppets, yeah. It's not always right. You're not always a surefire hit, right? You know, yeah. You can't just always walk through the door and say, "Hey, we're the Muppets." And you yeah, know, and you have to hope. Go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and you got to hope that whoever is in charge of making those decisions is a Muppet fan or, or loves yeah. Muppets or, or gets yeah. them. You know, and and so it's a tricky thing. Right now, we're kind of we're we're um, 
we spent a year or two thinking really big and, you know, doing the whole thing and doing the meetings and stuff like that. And, um, and that was fun. But right now we're just focusing on, on doing things small because I think there's something really valuable in the social media um, making small digestible videos. And I think it's the way puppets – puppets work really well for social media because – They do. And in small – You're doses. in and out. And something about what I've noticed, just in how you edit it and deliver it, I mean, there are these little, that feels so, uh, to me, so much how people put out content now. Like, there's a little flash of something that comes up, like a tiny little flash of, like, I don't know, stick of butter or something. And then just ridiculous little, almost, in a way, it kind of reminds me, a little bit of Monty Python uh, and a little bit of... uh, uh, I can't think of the other thing, but it's ju- they're just this absurd, yeah, hilarious videos to me. Some of it, I've we've talked about it before about why, because I just always gravitated toward that style of editing. I think some of it's my ADD, you know, because I think I'll <laughs> really? I'll have a flash of something in my brain, and I thought, oh, that that will put a punctuation on that joke, because a yeah. lot of our jokes are not like set up punch but um bum. It's just the delivery of a line, and it's very conversational, mm-hmm. and sometimes you need the punctuation of a flash of something. And another component is, like, I, I really loved, like, when I was in high school, I, f- I discovered Frank Zappa, and I just loved his um, approach to, um, it was all kind of interpretive, like, his stuff, and I, I've always responded to things like that, like, you know, like, I was, a, I, I liked Salvador Dali when I was in high school, it's all kind of interpretive, <laughs> you know, you can, you can take it for what it is, and um, yeah. you could, you could take away from it whatever you're personal opinions are of it and it can mean whatever it wants to mean for you um so there's a little bit of that um also i think it was a deliberate stylistic choice to get it one step removed from other puppet things because it's already hard enough to justify to people why things are not the muppets right so um and it's just a style that i'm it's the it's the devil i know in terms of the puppetry style so then you have to almost compensate for that and say well how are you what stylistic stylistic choices are we making that are going to be different than that? Yeah, because it doesn't look like any, you know how how we do Muppet stuff, and it's, it doesn't look like how we like do Sesame it was Street made stuff. Made in a me- in a mental institution. <laughs> <laughs> it is very. It's I love whenever I well, see them come up you. on my little feed. I always listen to them, and watch them. They're so funny. Well, thank you. That and means a lot. you and Mark uh, and uh, you know Frankie Cordero and Frankie. Does, I gotta um, say, Frankie's a huge part of it too. He's. Yeah. Uh, Frankie's so funny, man. He is... And oftentimes just plays Frankie. And he's just Frankie. He? He's a great character. <laughs> he's, he's such a good character. Um, and Frankie does great characters, too, but he, we just gravitated towards him because he's a great neutral figure. He's just like the sane one in, the, in, the, in this group funny. of crazy people. But, yeah, Fra- I've been working with Frankie forever. I've, I've known him for a super long time, and so we're buddies. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the best. It's time for a Jerry song. Today's tune, like many of the others, can be found as full band renditions on Jerry's album, Truro Daydreams. Pick it up. Give it a listen. It's great. But today, this is an acoustic version of a song called Alligators. Alligators from Hill. I was standing in the desert with my gun in my hand. Didn't do me no good. Here they come again, after me again, like I knew they would. Alligators from hell, all got me under their spell. Alligators from hell, I don't feel very well. 
You know I run up on the mountain thinking a fox and mouth, but didn't do me no good. They were sitting there awaiting with a grin on their chin, like I knew they would. Alligator backbite. Ah, you know it just ain't right. Alligators hiss raw. Oh my God, here comes some more. Yeah, I went to the ocean thinking to get away at last uh, Didn't do me no good, no, no Time for getting away is past Time is moving fast uh, Help me on my way if you could From alligator back bite Oh, you know what just ain't right yeah, Alligators alligating Yeah, stirring up hating yeah, I went out to L.A. was in July, I gotta say, hey, didn't do me no good, no, no. Them L.A. gators is hip, they take you on a hip trip, snap you up when they could. Alligators from space, <laughs> oh my God, alligator types all over the place. Alligators is raw, oh my God, they're at the door. You know I went to see the doctor He said, son, you're really sick I said, hey, doctor, that don't do me no good No, no All I'm saying, please, can't see the forest for the trees He said, help me on my way if you could He said, alligators don't bite <laughs> I know that ain't right Yeah, I seen it in the stars In my alligator scars so I went to see the wizard, said, gee whiz, what can I do? He said, I tell you and you know it's true, you do. You gotta jump straight in the middle of your own internal riddle. Hey, you know it's only up to you. Else alligators might roam. Yeah, maybe get you at home. He said, every time you fall from grace, there'll be a snapping in your face. Snap! Snap! Well, I jumped inside my head and had a look just like he said, hey, I think it did me some good. The alligators didn't mind, cause they had other fools to find, so keep an eye out round your neighborhood. Why, alligators from within, yeah, cause that's how they begin. Alligators from hell, I don't fall under their spell. Yeah, I'm gonna get my hat. Duff on down the road here Don't be giving me none of them crocodile smiles I heard all that jive before Yeah, hey, I'll see you later, alligator That's Jerry Nelson We'll have more songs and stories from Jerry On upcoming episodes of Below the Frame And now back to my interview with Ryan Dillon Well, we should talk about Probably the most famous character that you play uh, and that is, of course... Don Music. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say the sensitive nose dwarf. Oh, my God. Love <laughs> it, from, That's right. Uh, yeah. And uh, no, it's, of course, it's, it's Elmo. Uh, that was 2013, mm-hmm. right? What was... What went through your mind when there was a call that said, hey... We want you to come in and audition for Elmo. What was going through my mind? I didn't, I didn't think I was going to do it. I didn't think I was going to go in. That's, that's what I remember feeling. I think that maybe mm. the call came from you. It must have. Or maybe it, I don't remember. But I remember thinking, I don't know. I just can't do that. I just remember thinking, I can't 
Elma was never a character that I felt comfortable. You know, I had done the puppet a little bit, like you, like mm-hmm. we all have. You know, right. and um, if Kevin was directing or something, he'd throw the puppet to me, and in the same way that you had been doing stuff like that as well, I kind of. So I knew how to move the puppet enough, but it still was like, you know, Kevin's manipulation style was like so specific and so crisp, and um, the character was so unique to him, and it was just never something I considered. Um, right. So I, I sort of fought with myself internally a lot about even going in, and then I went in, and um, I, I, it's kind of a blur. I just remember it being you, me, and Joey in a room. With Elmo mm-hmm. and Murray riffing, I don't. There must have been scripts, but I don't remember them. Yeah, I don't either. And it was just also weird. It was just a weird time personally, and it was a weird. It was hard to know what was going to happen. And um, I think you know, I maybe did. Maybe I, I must have done like a callback. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of happened from there. But it certainly was. It was. It's funny what life gives you and what you choose to do with it because I I never could have anticipated that character or that job. No, how could you? You know none of us do. We right. you know even when you're back you're you know you're a kid and those you see those puppeteers Jim and Frank and Dave and Jerry and Richard and you you thinking oh well uh, that they do that. Yes. That's what they do. That's their job. How right. do I fit into that? I'm not. I don't do that. that. That's not me. I can't do that. I would never assume that mm-hmm. I could have taken over uh, Big Bird. I never I don't would think, have thought. Right, because none of us. I think, and I would imagine you probably had a similar thought process when you were thinking about these things. Like I always thought, oh well, they. The way it works is they develop new characters, and those performers play those characters, and it comes from them. And you know, you just kind of think, mm-hmm. I will, I will add my characters to this group of characters. And and what has yeah. kind of happened, just because of the nature of of the medium and and the way te- television and the internet is produced, you know, you need to have a small stable of characters. And what ends up happening is now the job has kind of become that we take on legacy characters. So it's a different, it's a it's sort of a different yeah. um, mindset almost. You have to kind of put your brain in a different gear. Um, it uses a lot of the same principles, but there's a lot of different skills involved or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there are differences in creating a role from nothing, yeah. you know, and and then also taking over for, for someone. Right. You know, uh, and, and how do you make that, Still that character. How do you make Elmo still Elmo, mm-hmm. but not not make it be an, just an imitation? Because right. it cannot be just an imitation. It has to be alive. And and do you hear that sound? Somebody's very, mowing. very faintly. Somebody's mowing outside my window right there. Keep it in. Keep it I'll in. Just <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but what I was saying was, Taking over a role and making that thing yours while not stepping on who the character is is a little tricky. It's hard. And I've kind of, I've had to take, I would I'd be curious to what, hear what you have to say about this too because you've had to do it a lot, a lot with lots of different characters. For me, I, I started to give myself a little bit of a break. I just, for the first year or two, I, it was very much an impression, and it was like, oh, okay, well, he goes up on the end of a thing. You know what I mean? It was very clinical. But that was your way in. It had to be. And I think also it just had to be 
just for continuity's sake, it had to fit in with the rest of those shows. So you had to yeah. get as close as you could. And also for me, it was almost like get it out of the way. Like do your mm-hmm. 10,000 hours of the mimicking to get that part out of the way. And, and you know, it does happen. You get, you get, you get outside opinions from people who everyone's oh, got opinions yeah. about these characters because, uh, and, and rightfully so. We're, and we're all trying to help. Because I do remember, like, early on, we were like, you know, maybe, I don't know that yes. Elmo does this. Yes. And we would do that a little bit, and it was all like, you were very gracious, and you were like, okay, thanks, thanks, and you would kind of well, take Well, and it was important, and, because everybody was at the same, that's the thing, everyone was trying to hit the same exact target. So, mm-hmm. it, it what was frustrating about it was that I didn't feel that I was there yet, and I knew what needed to happen, but I wasn't, I just didn't have the tools. So, there... And also, you know, I I, remember, I love her so much. So she, I don't think she's going to mind me telling this story. But uh, Carolyn Parente early on came up to me and she just goes, just remember that he's three and a half. Because my Elmo's like a 47-year-old three and a half. <laughs> but, that, yeah, I get, but, you know, Kevin would do that too. He right. would go on like, you know, The Tonight Show or whatever he would do. And he would do, he would kind of age him up a yeah. little bit to make it funnier for adult audiences. I, I, there's something about, it's hard. I have a hard time doing kid characters. Because they always end up being smarter than they're supposed to be. They always end up saying things that because it's just so off the cuff, and so that I guess that's part of that thing of like just accepting it and like uh, yes, it's different now, um, yeah. but as you say, it kind of has to be different. It has to, or it has to not different, but it ha- you have to. It's very hard to keep a character going and do a number of things. Um, uh, make the audience believe that character's real. Please the people who love these characters so much and make it your own. I think there's value in making it your own, you know, and everybody, all of us have kind of taken the root of a character and said, how does that apply to my life? In the sense that, uh, like, tons of people have played Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know why I'm using that reference, but like every, there there are these, you know, uh, there are people, it's everybody's interpretation of a character. It is, yeah, and in the same way, it's it's just so much harder because it is that actual puppet, mm-hmm. like it's that actual physical foam and fur and feather creation that people literally grew up with and learned the alphabet yeah. or learned kindness with, and you're trying to now take that and be that, but also you have you have something to contribute. Yeah, you know, if you didn't let who you were or are creep a little bit into that character. It's just going to be stale and yeah. it's not going to be fun to watch or to perform. Yeah. And you just have to hope that the audience is going to be cool with it. That's That was another yeah. part of it. I just thought, well, um, I, it's funny. I made the mistake of reading things early on and I learned very quickly, oh, don't read. Just don't I read know. the stuff because it's people can be tough. And and I yeah. to your point, I, I get it because I was that kid who was, you know, obsessed with every little thing. And it means a right. lot to people. It means a lot to these characters are like so personal. They're like family members. So I just had to trust myself enough to say, I'm going to make these choices. And mm-hmm. actually, it was very helpful to get away from um, the, the, I think it was like the second year that I'd been doing Elmo. I went to England to do a co production called the Furchester Hotel, with, yeah. um, which was really challenging because, and I think. Looking back, I, I should have enjoyed it a little bit more, but it was it was a little scary because uh, I 
it was two things. One thing was freeing that I didn't I didn't feel the pressure of a lot of people watching me who right. who have worked on the show for X number of years. But at the same yeah. time, I was a little bit in the I was like um, in the woods. Like I didn't I didn't really have a barometer of any like is this right? Am I doing this right? Is it it, it was it was a double edged sort of thing. Um, but it allowed me to uh, take some of those liberties a little bit. And you also had David Rudman there, yeah. who would come in every month or so, or every uh, I forget what happened. David had the best in, job on that show because he, I was so <laughs> jealous of him because he would come in and he would come in and Cookie Monster would enter the scene and eat a cookie and he'd be done for the day. He'd be in one scene. I was, I am in every shot You're of that everything. show. Yeah. And he would come in and do his little thing. And then the rest of the day, he could like yeah. work on spiffy stuff in his room. And I'm like, how are you getting away with this? It's amazing. Yeah. But uh, no, he was really, really kind and, um, and uh, very patient. That's the thing. Very, people were very patient with me. And I think, because it was scary. There was a lot of parts of it that were scary. Because I also was like, okay, this is your thing now. This is going to be on your obituary. This will be the thing, yeah. which is like super dark. But this will, is. this will be <laughs> the thing that people know you for, whether whether you're ready for that or not. So you have to go right. full force into it and just and then really um, make it something that you feel happy doing and, and comfortable doing. And a lot mm. of that was allowing myself to come out. And, you know, a lot of it was doing those appearances and doing Fallon and doing all those shows where you could kind of – and everybody was super – I mean, you guys were all so – generous and kind and patient and I can only imagine how weird that whole experience was like I remember you and Joey and all people just being really kind and and, and um, helpful so it was just a weird way to be thrust into that situation I didn't expect it yeah. and I never anticipated it but it's been amazing you know you were working with people like Louise Gold yeah you know and she certainly had some experience over the years it was how cool it was amazing it was uh, God Louise is incredible she was it was so scary going into. I was like moving to England for the summer. I had never been to England. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, she was yeah. so open. Like I, I, we were the first day of rehearsals. She like she was at the front door with her arms wide open, waiting to hug me. She never met. She didn't know me. But it was just such a. Again, it was that thing. I don't think I could have gotten comfortable if people, you know, like you guys and like Louise and David, and if if there wasn't um, this element of like you're going to be fine. You know, you'll be okay. Yes. Yeah. Just, just you know, you're getting there and. Yeah. Um, but it's been an amazing experience. It, um, it was a little bit like you don't have something else too, was you, I didn't really have time to, to super panic about it. There wasn't a lot of time Mm -hmm. between getting the job and starting the job. You know, there was no waiting around. You're kind of being thrown into the, the pond. Yeah. Thrown to the wolves. Yeah. Put your feet or put on under the fire. My feet were put Uh, under the fire. uh, Whatever. All those things. A fourth thing. Yeah, there's a, and then another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been an amazing experience. It's it's a trip, man. It's it's uh, you just do. I mean, you know, you just you do things that you never would dream. Like yeah. I met Barack Obama. It's just That's insane. You know what I mean? And I've got that picture of all of us with Michelle Obama. But it's bizarre. Yeah. It, it's just there's experiences you, that you get to have that you never could have imagined. Uh, and you performed all over the world with Elmo. Yeah. You've performed in not only in uh, in the UK, but you've been you've been to uh, I've been Australia. to the Philippines. I've been to yeah. Manila. That's I mean, like see? crazy. You know, like, it takes you places that you'd never think that you'd get to go at all. Or you'd at ever all. find yourself. Um, it's it's incredible, and I you know, um, it's been the most fun thing in the world. I mean, it really is. 
it's it's the dream job because it's it's yeah. it's it's I mean you know it's it's you're getting to be the person who does these characters for people and you get to be the mm-hmm. person who keeps it going and you can only hope that you know people are happy with it but you just go out yeah. and you perform and have fun and and it's it's crazy it's amazing yeah. and now you get to do not only have you done Sesame Street for you know some several seasons now but now elmo has his own show that's right elmo does have his own show um he's, he's got the not too late show yes do you want to talk a little bit about that because it was a very it's a very different format it's very it's very uh comedy based it's less curriculum based which is uh, kind of fun to do with these characters mm-hmm. it was a blast i had a lot of fun it because it kind of went back to my roots it kind of went back to my roots of like talking about doing that doing stuff with Phoebe the owl and going to mm-hmm. improv shows or just harassing my friends with this puppet. Like it, it, it kind of went right back to that way that I was really comfortable working where, yeah. you know, there's a loose idea of what we're going to do, but you know, you're just chatting to somebody with a puppet and there some really fun stuff can come from that. Um, I mean, we had like, God, we had Jason Sudeikis who was amazing. We had a lot of people who, um, not only understood sketch, they also understood buying the reality of this world. Yeah. Uh, I felt like you were so loose in that show. You, Ryan, were so just loose and comfortable, and that, that made Elmo feel really loose and comfortable as well. Yeah, I think that's a good... There's a lot, there's a lot to that, I think. I spent a lot of time being way more... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I spent a lot of time being a lot less comfortable than I should than I could have been, and I think it affects the work. I think it, you know, once you're able to bring your shoulders down and say, "Okay, let's just have fun," you know, and and oh yeah, um, there was there was something really valuable about that. And I also really like working without a net. It's my favorite thing, you know. Yeah. And I I kind of like. Um, you know, there's something fun about, you know, when we do like those press junkets, like throwing each other under the bus and seeing what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. goofing off with each yeah. other. And there's something about that that I really, and that's what this whole show kind of became. We would have a set, you know, if I was interviewing, um, who was on the show? If I was interviewing, I'll just say Jason Sudeikis. If I'm interviewing Jason Sudeikis, they'll have, you know, a couple little things that we want to hit that are definitely going to be in the show. Uh, yeah. Within the within the you know this the scene of the of the chat part of it, but it really meandered. And as the season went on, we did a lot more meandering. Um, and I had a quad. I think I had a quad split most of the time, so I could see what all of the um, for people who may not um, know. You know, obviously we have monitors that we're watching our performance, but right. usually what we're watching is what we call the program feed, which is exactly what the cameras, what's going to go home, the cuts when they're cutting in the control room. That way you can adjust your performance to that shot to make it look good. It's, you know, it's an essential part of being a a Muppet performer. Essential. But you had the quad split. I had the quad split. So sometimes on films, and I think maybe you guys did it for Muppets and stuff, you know, if there's a lot of cameras, especially in a scenario where anything could in a talk show format they could need to cut a huge chunk of something that doesn't work so right. what that means is you need to see all four cameras to know if they're cutting to a close up when i don't think they're going to cut to a close up almost got to look good in that close up so i was seeing the wide shot Usually I was seeing um, the close-up shot of the guest, and I was seeing my close-up Elmo shot. So it was sort of a different way of working in that respect. 
but it was also kind of freeing and and um i love the loose and and david you know it's great to have david there too because he's yeah. uh cookie monsters the co-host he's like the ed mcmahon and he would come up with great stuff and we would just we you know we'd look at each other and say oh you want to do you want to riff on this thing okay and then we would just do it and yeah. um it was a blast. I hope we get to do more. I, ju- I just think, and the, I do too. the energy of the of, on the floor was really fun and loose and positive, and um, it was a great balance of comedy and and some curriculum that felt like it dovetailed yeah. really well. But really, it's a show for for everybody. It's for the whole family. There's some great musical really numbers. Is. You shot some amazing stuff on that show. It was just, oh, I was, you. it was very. I had a blast. I hope we get to do more. I do too. It was so much fun, and you know, it was a great collaboration from yeah. the Muppet performers to our producers and writers, and even the guests that yeah. would come on, and they would have great ideas. It was so much fun. It really was, and I do look forward to doing more of those. It, it, is there a dream Sesame Street project that you Ooh. think that you'd like to do? I mean, you've kind of done a lot of stuff. I've, <laughs> I've done... been super lucky, man. I've gotten to do a lot of really cool stuff. And I, I don't take it for granted because I could have easily not been in any of those things. But yeah, Sesame Street specifically, I have an idea that I've always wanted to do for Sesame Street. I want to do a show that's the other side of the street. Who lives on the other side of Sesame Street? Uh-huh. You know, so it's uh, where the bike shop is now. But like, you know, just yeah. I, we've been really lucky to do, uh, you know, all of those old, weird, classic characters. You know, that's been a real dream to do stuff like that and carry that. Right. And you, you've done Don Music. Don Music. And it's kind of Don become, it's come become really ridiculous. It's, he's only come <laughs> back because I keep putting him on my arm and forcing him into things. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I just, a dream Sesame Street project. That's a really good question. I, and it's a hard one to answer because we've done some really cool stuff. I'll tell you what the dream Sesame Street project would be. I just want to do inserts. I want to do a show of hmm. new inserts where we could do those those wall bits, and because yeah. you know we did a we I, I got to do I like a, that. a fair amount it's of just those. inserts. It's just inserts. Maybe maybe you have a Bert and Ernie insert. Yes, Eric and I half jokingly have talked several times about doing me doing Herbert Birdsfoot and him doing Grover and Let's doing see. those old bits. Um, I'd love to do inserts again because. Um, uh, I got to do some towards the tail end, right before Elmo. I got to do some AMs and inserts and stuff and got to have that thing. But it was kind of on its way out by the time I was there all the time. And I just, it was my favorite thing to watch on the show. You know, Eric and I have sort of half jokingly said, okay, I'll be Herbert Birdsfoot and you be Grover and we'll do all those old, we'll do some of those new old bits. And uh, yeah. it's always, I love those things. I love because it, it's, it's, I'm sure you're in a similar boat. Like to me, that was it was like sketch comedy for kids. It was yes. It was like my Abbott and Costello and my you know there was. I mean, I love that stuff too, obviously. But there's something about those little bits, and 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 they're so satisfying. Those stupid buttons, the the whole package <laughs> yeah. is yes really appealing. So if I had a dream thing, it would be to just do a bunch of those. With maybe old existing characters that we bring back, you know, I, I yeah. Don obviously, but uh, but also to develop new characters that would be another dream. I think, yeah, you know, unfortunately, just the the model of entertainment in the industry right now, you you need to fulfill a certain thing, and I think, yes. um, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of characters we could be doing that, but there's just there's just not enough time to to, to to do them. But I think I would love to see us develop our own original new characters that are 
yeah. that we create. That'd be fun. Uh, let's talk about Muppets for just a second. I mean, I know you're a huge Muppet fan, and you got to perform with us at the Muppets Take the Bowl. And then when we took that show over to the UK and did the Muppets Take the O2. It was the best thing ever. I, I think it's like, it's in my top three for sure. That was... Oh, really? Oh, my God, yeah. What did you do in that show? I mean, I... I, I was all over the place, but I... I, what I really liked about it was I was just utility. Like I, I kind of yeah. miss being utility um, yeah. because you're not. And that's what happens when you are the top dog. Yeah. You, you know, you, you oftentimes like, can't just go and mess around. I really the, like right handing and I really like doing background and filling in. Like it's just, I, I yeah. like the, I like the challenge of filling in for a performer. Um, but I was all over. I did a bunch of like, you know, Oh, I, <sighs> I was I got to do Floyd for Bohemian Rhapsody. That was unbelievable. Uh, I was like, I can't believe I'm I'm in the bandstand doing this thing, and it was you know it's just silly little things. It was it was it was the kid in me. I got to do that thing because yeah. all of us, I think, at the end, of, we all just want to do the Muppet Show. And yes, it, absolutely. You know what I mean? That's like really, everybody just wants to be on the Muppet Show, and yes. it felt so close to that. And just you know, it was it was an incredible experience. I'll never forget just being in those arches, and and it's one of those things that. Uh, I mean, you guys are in those arches all the time, but it's for well, me, it, you know what I mean? Really. Like you, you're like, you're not smoking a cigarette in the back on like, yeah, sure. These arches again. Are if they only, cigarette? if only we were in those arches all the time, who knows? Maybe, no, but, but I, uh, it was, it just really meant a lot to me to check it off the list. And also to, I cried, I really cried like ugly, like man cried at the end of those shows. And I remember Rudman, really? Rudman like came, gave me a great big hug. It was really sweet. But like, I just couldn't believe it. It was, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've done a little assisting. We got to do that Steve Martin thing together. Yes. That was amazing. That was so much fun. And I can't remember. We did you this, meet uh, him at the no, end No, I didn't get to meet Steve mm-hmm. Martin. No, I wish, I wish that I, I could have, but we did this, uh, Steve Martin was being honored, uh, by the drama league in 2017. And, uh, they had asked if Kermit could come and, and uh, sing a song, and they wanted him to sing the song um, from The Jerk that he sings with Bernadette Peters. Tonight You Belong to Me. Yeah, Tonight You Belong to Me. And so uh, I asked Ryan if he would come and assist me with that, and that was it was so best. much fun. That was the best. But no, I didn't get to meet Steve Martin. <sighs> that was great. I, I just, I you know, it's little things like that that I... You know, and and it's the stuff I like to do at Sesame Street too. I love that thing yeah. of like, oh, can you just do my hand for this thing? You know, there's there's something really yep. rewarding about that. And yeah, and it it kind of speaks to our we are like a family. We're yeah. a team. Yeah, and we, we're there to help anybody. I'll help totally. you at any time. Totally. Uh, any any favorite celebrities that you've worked with that you've just been like, oh man, that was so much fun. I really felt great. It's a really hard question. If you I, can't think of one, why don't you just tell us the Adele story? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, okay, that's the answer. That just popped into my head right now. That's Only, a good one. That's a good one. That's a pretty good one. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll make it an abridged version because it's a long story. But I we were in Australia <laughs> doing a press tour, and I was with Alicia Durand, and she yeah. was. Uh, we were doing, you know, like the usually used to. I, we haven't done them in a little while, but uh, we would usually take about two or three weeks every other year and do an Australia trip because we have a huge audience in Australia. And, uh, so that, that meant anything from like doing, um, like Roe, we would do his show or do, you know, all these other Australian chat shows. And, um, I don't remember how it came about. I found out, I found out from somebody that Adele was touring in Australia at the time I was there. 
and I mentioned it to Alicia, and she goes, yeah, I, I knew she was here, but I wasn't going to say anything to you because I knew it would be a whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, we're going to meet her. Uh, I am going to make this happen. I'm going to will it into the universe. And so on every single chat show I was on, I would just have Elmo talk about how much he wants to work with Adele. And we did like hashtag Adelmo and it, 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 would, it became this thing. And so I was singing on one of the late night shows. I just had Elmo start to sing Rolling in the Deep and her people saw it. And so we, we went and hung out with Adele and her kid for like, you know, a couple hours. But getting there was terrible because they were like, you have to get here. I mean, it's Adele. Like, this is like no joke. Like, you show up when yeah. Adele wants you to show up and it's going to be, right. you, you know. But we were in, I don't remember if we were in Sydney or Melbourne. But we were at least like an hour and a half away from the venue. And we'd only gotten notice of it, you know, 45 minutes prior. They said, okay, you can come, but you have to come at 5 o'clock. And it was like 4.30. And it's rush hour traffic. So our oh drivers booking it through Sydney or Melbourne, whichever one it was. Yeah, wherever you were. And uh, wherever I was. didn't matter. I was going to be Adele. I was going to meet Adele. And uh, we almost didn't make it. And uh, finally we did. And uh, I was a nervous wreck for some reason. which was so stupid. But uh, her, she was lovely, and I hung out with her kid, and her kid was obsessed with Elmo at the time, and he took Elmo and me all around the arena, the concert arena, and he showed me the band, the dressing room where the band is, and it was like his little, it was really sweet because it was like his family. And we spent a, 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 some time with her, and, and we, we went to the show the next night, and it was just an amazing experience. Uh, wow. the, you know, the when we, when we went to the White House, that was always a special experience. Worked with mm-hmm. Michelle Obama a lot. And, uh, you know, what was great recently was the Kennedy Center. That was an incredible time. Uh, it really was. You know, there's just moments like that that, that are, are pinch-me moments, and you kind of just don't... It doesn't even feel like you're really there until you've left. There's a... You know, um, it was, you know, it's hard to pick one. Well, what's your, who's your favorite person that you've met? I don't, I can't. See, I, mean, I mean, it's I can't hard, even, right? Like, it's hard to it, pick it one. It really is. Like, what but would we're your, so fortunate and I'm so grateful to be able to say that I've, you know, met R.E.M. Yeah. And <laughs> did you do the, you did know. you do the shiny happy people? The Sesame? Yeah, oh, I was, you did. Uh, I was the hands of the Kate Pearson monster oh, yeah, yeah. that Stephanie did the voice for that Kevin, that Kevin did. That's a, I, I love that hands. bit. That's a great bit. Yeah. Oh, so you're doing that. Oh, yeah, because she's doing all I'm this doing really all fun hand stuff. stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm doing that. You know, but we're so lucky to get to do this yeah, job. It's, and, and when we would do those, like, uh, those word of the day bits, you know, people would come yeah. in and out, like Bill Hader and people who just, you're like, you know, People that Steve Carell, Steve Carell, uh, uh, oh, so many people. Bobby Moynihan, we always have fun. I, mean, I, I love, love Bobby, Bobby Moynihan. We did this thing that I wish people could see because it was so much fun. We did this thing at Comic Con, I guess two years oh, ago or a year ago now. Yeah. It was just yeah, you, yeah. me, and Eric and Bobby Moynihan and like yeah. fifty puppets. And it was <laughs> again. Don Music was there. And Don Music was there. <laughs> Don Music and Lefty and a bunch of other people. Yeah, and all and Forgetful was Jones was there. And yeah. uh, it just it was like it was the most fun. Again, it was like let's just put on a show. We wrote yeah. it. Andrew Moriarty had written this script. Yeah, and it was uh, just full of just kind of retro fun. Uh, and also very now stuff. It was yeah. just felt, it was great. It was so much fun to do. I wish people could see it because it was so, maybe, hopefully it'll get out there at some point. And Bobby was the host of it, and he was just great. I love working with him. He's great. Um, it's fun working with people who also have the reverence for it that we have. You know, that's yeah. that's that adds another element. That's another spice that you can, you know, when they take it as yeah, seriously, it really it's, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. 
All right, Ryan. So now I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Okay. So just whatever you say at the top of your head, that's your answer, and you're going to stick with it. Or you can always change it. Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? I guess so. Why not? All right. What's the hardest part about being a puppeteer? Um, explaining it to people. What's the easiest part? Uh, the easiest part. Wow. None of it is easy. The easiest <laughs> part is. It's the easiest job for me to do. I'll tell you that. It's it's okay. it's the thing that I have to think the least about. What's your biggest strength as a puppeteer? I can hold my arm up for a long time. <laughs> That'll do. That's good. What's your biggest weakness? Uh, I can't really hold my arm up for a very long time. <laughs> no, uh, my, my biggest weakness as a puppeteer. Uh, I've recently found myself getting a little lazy. Uh, with my technique, and I and I, hmm. it's funny. The other day, I was we were I was shooting something here, and there's you know there's different challenges of shooting at home, and I and I I was kind of like, mm, it's acceptable, but it's not. You know you know have you ever done yep. that where you watch exactly a playback and you're like, oh, it's doing the thing it's supposed to do, but it's it's callous. It's, but I I could have done better. I could have done better. So that <laughs> yeah. right now, that's my weakness is is just you know pushing a little bit harder. What's one of your favorite things about being a Muppet performer? Um. I, the people and the mm. the group, this group of people, and yeah. um, and the fact that I, I mean, I think about that all the time. That like, how how many people have a job where the people at their job are like their family members in every sense of the word? You know, it, it, it's it, it's just not common. I think that no, no. and and just the fact that it's just it's the only thing I've ever really really wanted and the fact that I get to do it is I don't take that for granted. There are probably people listening who want to hear you tell them what they have to do to become a Sesame Street Muppet performer. So what would it be? Don't only set your sights on Sesame Street or the Muppets. Uh, you have to do your mm-hmm. own thing and you have to figure out if you're going to do Muppet style, you have to figure out a way that it is uniquely your version of it. That from like a, it depends on if they want to be a builder or a performer. If you want to be a performer, yeah. do not rely on your technique. You have to have the main Muppet, the the, the gods, the people that we looked at um, when we were learning. You know, you know, Jim and Jerry and Fran and Richard and Frank were all actors, right? And they happen to be good puppeteers. So mm. I think that's the thing that I'm always striving to be better. I'm trying. I'm always trying to be a better actor and. Techni- if you've got the technique, great, but that would be the thing. Uh, I think I may know what your answer is here, but Jerry Nelson once said to me, Sesame Street's great, but you always need to have something that is your own, that you create. So, Ryan, what is that for you? For me, it's, it's, the, it's my characters. It's, um, I would be doing them regardless if, if I was working in a bookstore or if I was doing Sesame Street. Right. I would still be doing them because it's just in me to do it. Um, yeah. I can't really help it, I've learned. Um, so it's who you are. It's just who I am. It's just part of, you know. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for this having awesome. me, Maddie. This is fun. Really. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. That was Emmy Award winner Ryan Dillon, and this has been Below the Frame. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Our show today was produced by me. The theme song was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by the Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast artwork was created by Dave Holtine at DaveHoltineDesign.com. Special thanks goes out, as always, to Jan Nelson for giving me Jerry's stories and to John Kennedy for sharing his memory and reading a story by Jerry Nelson. Thanks to Emmy Award winner Ryan Dillon, he's going to kill me for continuing to say that, for being a part of this episode. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. 
I'm Matt Vogel, and we'll see you next time when we go below the frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go.